Hey, Risto here, George Mason University. We're back from a long summer break that was sorely needed for another article club. Um, this month, we've read a paper by Dr. Melinda Solomon. Uh, it was just published in 2021 in Kinesiology Review. Uh, the title of the paper is Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy, the Application of Academic Discipline of kinesiology. The link to the article is in the show notes. Um, it was an interesting article. We have a full group uh, from the article club today, so let me just go around and introduce everybody. Um, first, we have Aaron Santeo from the University of Hawaii, who woke up at 3.30 in the morning to record this podcast. So, hi, Aaron. Hi, Resto. Hi, everybody. Uh, we have Kevin Richards from the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Hey, Resto. Happy to be back. And Tori Shiver from Northern Illinois University. Good morning, Risto. And finally, we have the man who suggested this article, uh, Michael Hemphill, who was recently awarded tenure and promotion at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Spirit fingers in the air. So, uh, Michael, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning, all. So the first question always goes to the person who uh, suggested the article. So that goes to you, Michael. Um, why did you pick this article this month? Um, so I came across it uh, just through like one of the Google recommendations. And I've been thinking about this topic of how does physical education and sport pedagogy fit into kinesiology. I'm in a kinesiology department. And um, I think there is there needs to be more conversations about that. And um making sure our discipline is sustainable within the model of kinesiology. So I had been trying to figure out how do I participate in that conversation. Um, and so I had literally printed this out and had it on my desk for probably a month. And the article club came around and I'm like, this would be a great opportunity to really finally read this paper and actually start the conversation um, that I've been interested in. And uh, so I did get around to reading it. it. It did not disappoint. And I look forward to talking more about it today. So where do you stand on it? I mean, you, you, you all have at Greensboro a big kinesiology department. Um, do you feel like physical education is, is a good fit in the kinesiology department? Or Because, I mean, historically, we've kind of been in a physical education department, then it morphed into kinesiology, and then there's all these different names for different programs, and then there are certain programs that have left kinesiology departments to go into the College of Education or School of Education. So um, I don't know. I, I'd like to hear your opinions on that. So let's let's just go around. Michael, what do you think? So I've, the way I've started to think about this is physical education really gives kinesiology an opportunity to be grounded in um, the public, a public mission. Um, when I look around, I see that big investment, big public investments in kinesiology, NIH and NFS, um, even places like the Department of Defense. But um, I'm not clear on how the output of scholarship uh, are deliverable to the public broadly. So we have perhaps healthcare innovations. We know there's access to healthcare issues among various populations. Um, and then there's targeted, super interesting targeted things that I really like, like say, the um, outstanding sports psychology research that impacts youth sports programs or even more elite athletics programs. We know that those programs are exclusive and not broadly available to all children. And I am aware that some of that research does feed into, you know, school physical education and physical activity. But what is the, you know, the systematic way that kinesiology has some connection to the general public that invests so much in the discipline and, and we owe its existence to? Yeah. Aaron, where, where is your program? Is it in the School of Ed or School of Kinesiology in Hawaii? You know, this is an interesting conversation to have right now because we're actually, our college is kind of restructuring or the university is encouraging colleges to restructure. And so we sit in the College of Education um, currently in the Department of Kinesiology, which is going to be moving to a school of health, science, some form that's taking actually out kinesiology out of the name um, to be more inclusive of more health promotion fields, uh, maybe a future physical therapy program. Um, but we are still in the College of Education, but housed in kinesiology. And 
at the same time, we're looking at restructuring within our um, to school of teacher education and physical education is acting to asking to stay within kinesiology because of that long history and because of the the ties between the coursework and stuff that like all of our courses are very different than a traditional um, education major might follow. And so I think that this this article and this conversation is very pertinent to kind of what we're going through um, at the University of Hawaii and kind of trying to find our identity because we are a small program. And as you all know, like there's danger with that. And so um, kind of thinking through that right now is exactly what Dr. Solomon was talking about in her paper. Like how do we fit? How do we make ourselves valuable within kinesiology itself? So Kevin, you're, you're at a R1, uh, as I understand you, big kinesiology program. You have a lot of doctoral students. You have an undergraduate program for, uh, for Pete. You have a doctoral program for Pete. Um, how does it work there? Do you feel like you're a good fit in kinesiology? Is it something that has been talked about to move into education? Yeah, there's definitely no conversations about our uh, our physical education program going anywhere right now. Um, you know, we have de- we have department and college leadership who have backgrounds and roots in physical education, and so I think that they and and they're also quite involved in the academy. And so I think that that they really value and, and embrace this mission of um, kind of physical education as the applied field within the academic discipline of kinesiology. Um, you know, I, I've been on both sides of this. I've, I've worked across four different universities now. Two of those universities, we were in um, departments of kinesiology that were within colleges of education. And the other two universities, we were in variations of, of colleges of kinesiology that were in applied health sciences by, or, or you know, some, same thing by some other name. Um, it's interesting, and I think that, that in some ways, it comes down to individual faculty members and Pete and where they really see themselves and where they see their allegiances and their, in their research lines. You know, I've always been somebody who identifies education as my parent discipline. Um, I, I see my work tracing back through education. I don't see it tracing back through, um, you know, a, applied sport science in, in any real way. Like I, I the, physiology stuff, motor development, motor control, that really doesn't speak to me the way that education does. Um, and so I won't say that I'm any happier or any less happier um, being in, a, in a, a college of applied health sciences now. I think in a lot of ways it works. Um, but I do miss some of those kind of relational connections that you have a little bit more naturally within a college of education because then you're speaking with people in other disciplines who understand and, and get you. Now, the way that it's set up in our, in our college, I think actually works quite well because it's kinesiology and community health, then um, uh, recreation, and, uh, sport and tourism. Um, yeah, recreation, sport and tourism, so RST. Sometimes that's actually within a college uh, or within a department of kinesiology, so that kind of fits. And then speech, language, and hearing is with us as well, which is also a very kind of applied uh, human-centered discipline. So I think as physical education people, we kind of get that. So um, my situation actually works pretty well for, for me, but, but I do think that it might depend for others upon how they see themselves in their work. Tori, uh, you're at University of Northern, or Northern Illinois University. Apologies. Um, so where, where do you fit there in, um, in your program, kinesiology or education? So our department is kinesiology and physical education, and we are housed in the College of Education. So um, similar to kind of what Kevin was saying, I think I've always been leaning more towards education, that physical education should be within education, and kinesiology isn't really as good of a fit. And I think just through experience, I can see a little bit more of how kinesiology has application within physical education and how we can collaborate more. Um, Just because I think I've had really excellent people in my department that have found connections that we can have across the board. Um, And also because I see how physical education is currently in my university housed between kinesiology as almost a bridge to education. Because sometimes the kinesiology folks can't necessarily understand where the education folks are coming from and vice versa. But within PE, we can be like, oh, this is how it's applied in a school setting. Or this is what the schools are saying. This is how we could apply that in in a sports setting or an activity setting. So I found that part to be valuable. Honestly, I can see 
a lot of benefits to both sides. And I think getting into coursework like motor development and beginning to teach classes that are more science-based and seeing how physical education has applications in those, it's broadened my horizons immensely. So I do think it's still challenging, but I could see how it goes either way. So do you think that we should have a, um, a, a heavier focus or a heavy focus as a lot of places do in biomechanics and exercise physiology and all these sports science classes in the undergraduate? Because in, in Dr. Solomon's paper, um, she talks about this idea. She argues that there should be a lot of biomechanics, exercise psychology, motor learning, anatomy, uh, in there, and I, I frankly, I don't agree with that. I think the undergraduate experience should be more pedagogy oriented. We should take more classes about how students are learning, um, and um, so I, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Kevin? Yeah, you know, um, I, I just haven't seen that work. I guess is 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 what I would say. I haven't seen it work in the sense that. Um, instructors who usually teach those courses are from the disciplines that they're teaching from and often don't have the bridges back to applied practice in physical education. Um, what Ohio State does that, that um, you know, I've talked to Phil Ward about a very little bit, uh, so, you know, don't fact check me on this before anybody runs with it, but, but don't laugh at me, Aaron. But he told me that at Ohio State, they basically took all of those science principles that, that you know, are, I think, in many ways important to the field of physical education, but collapsed them into a, um, a single course that was taught by a physical education person um, with the idea that it's sports science principles for physical education teaching. Um, at Springfield College, I took a similar course. We took, it was like a motor development or something like that for uh, teaching and coaching. And it was specifically the application of those principles through the lens of our discipline. That I think works and that I think is important. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that one of the things that makes it difficult is this concept of making sure that we get students out within 120 credit hours and four years. And that's where it's really hard decisions because the amount of content that has to be provided to create quality physical education teachers is substantial. And when you start thinking about, you know, 12, 15 hours that are dedicated to these um, heavy kinesiology core courses, um, yes, there's absolutely benefit to it, uh, but it's also like what is most needed for our students, right? And I think that's where our struggle is, like trying to find that line of we want them to have that background and that knowledge to help inform what they're doing within the physical education setting, but at the same time, it needs to be applied. and. As Kevin alluded to, sometimes it's not always as applied as it needs to be to get kids or students to, to make that connection of how does this actually apply within the physical education setting. And so I think that that's where I struggle because I do think um, that that content is important, but um, it needs to be, there needs to be more of a link and we need to try to fit it in within that 120 credit hour, as well as doing all of these other things that we know are important. And so that also creates a problem, right? When you're in a, a kinesiology department, um, oftentimes kinesiology departments are bachelors of sciences, whereas departments of education or colleges of education sometimes are bachelors of education. And that also has um, plays a role in it, right? Because as kinesiology, we deliver a bachelors of science. So how much science needs to be in that to kind of qualify for that science realm? Um, so I don't know, just to throw that that loop in there as well. There's a lot of head nodding there for from everybody, as as we can probably hear the head nods on the podcast. I I, I think that you're right on. Um, one of the one of the things we've done at Mason in the last two years is we left a school of kinesiology, went to a school of education. So we're still under the College of Education and Human Development, but there's a sport rec and tourism. School of Education, a School of Kinesiology, and we left kinesiology because it seemed like they were moving way towards 
more of this like very science heavy uh, department, they wanted to move or they had discussed moving into a college of science. Um, and I think we've seen that historically at places like UCLA, who used to have a kinesiology program and then hired people in that were more like neurodevelopment and all of these different things. And all of a sudden, kinesiology ended up not being a focus anymore and they don't have a kinesiology program. And, you know, for us, I think we have we have a EDRS class that talks about literacy in physical education that is taught by a literacy person and teaches our students how to integrate literacy into physical education. And it's a three unit course that they take in the school of education. Now we have all, we don't have a ton of electives. I'm sure that a lot of your students don't have a lot of electives either, but we now have electives that are very relevant for, um, for education that they're taking other uh, classes at the undergraduate level with other undergraduates learning how to teach like the colleagues that they're going to be working with are going to be in those classes versus going into a kinesiology class and having people who are interested in going to get their doctorate in biomechanics or doing sports psychology research or some lab or clinical setting which doesn't work with kids and I think that point about not having enough experience with um with teaching, right? Because I mean, even the, the 120 units, 12 to 15 of those units are field experience. They're, they're going out doing their student teaching. So we take 12 out of 15 out of that and we take the 60 units out of uh, the general education. We really don't have a lot to, uh, to work with. Uh, Michael, what, um, what else did you see here? Um, I was gonna say, I think, um so I've heard pedagogy people say to our colleagues in the other disciplines that like the students who are studying in your areas need pedagogy because they're working with people. Um, you know, if you're uh, personal trainers, you know, that's teaching and, um, and even those who go off to grad school to get PhDs or something later on, uh, in the interim, they're doing these types of public service roles where pedagogy is just really important. I think so, in some places they're starting to hear us a little bit, right? So we're saying to them, here's what our discipline gives you. I haven't heard as much uh, what they would say to us about what the subdiscipline really uh, should give to physical education. That would be an interesting thing. I will say after reading this, I realize it's a part of a special issue. Um, I mean, the subdisciplines kind of have an article, so I haven't read those. They, they may speak to that. Um, that could be an interesting follow-up for us to go and, and look into. But what, you know, they've done the science. Um, they know where their discipline is. Like, what would they say someone needs to know about motor learning or psychology, et cetera, to go and teach in a K-12 setting? And then the final point would be it doesn't all, you know, we're thinking about undergrad, but maybe some of this uh, could apply to our teachers used to get master's degrees. And maybe that's where, you know, maybe there's a little bit more of an opportunity to look at um, the subdiscipline more closely at that continual professional development stage. Yeah. And I think right now it's, it's almost the opposite. We, we crash all of the subdisciplines in to the undergraduate, if you're, especially if you're in a kinesiology department, and then you go to a master's degree and you finally get to like, hone your craft. You get to take these upper division classes that you are using your, um, you know, your classroom as a lab to learn about how you teach, how students learn. And it's, it's almost the opposite of what we should be doing, you know, like, but Aaron, go ahead. You know, um, in the article, uh, Dr. Solomon talks about um, Penn State's program. And I haven't, I didn't, I haven't read that article, although I've had conversations with colleagues about um, Penn State's program and how they really um, restructured it to try to provide some of that pedagogy for more general kinesiology students. And I think that this is something that we should discuss because, as I alluded to at the beginning, like we're going through kind of a restructuring right now. And one of the things that physical education programs struggle with whether, well, most, not all, um, whether they're in colleges of education or in kinesiology is low enrollment. And that kind of spreads across the gamut, right? Whether it's classes, um, butts and seats, you know, depending on your 
funding model is important and we can't run classes with low class sizes. And so this concept that Michael brought up and then is also talked about in the article of making sure that that pedagogy is represented for um, kinesiology students, whether they're coaching or personal training or whatever that might be, is important. And I think as a, a teacher educator, what I struggle with is how do we take our classes that are designed for physical education majors and broaden them so that we teach those pedagogical skills, um, but still like help our physical education teachers be good in school while simultaneously helping coaches be good at coaching. And like, what do those assignments look like? And kind of going into that nitty gritty of like, how do we merge those so that we can like have a flourishing, awesome physical education teacher preparation program while also servicing more of these general kinesiology students? You know, reacting to that, Aaron, and thinking a little bit about what Michael was saying before, I, I really do think that this, this model could work. And not only do I think that this model could work, but I also feel as if th this model, like viewing pedagogy, um, as integral to any um, applied field within kinesiology, uh, I, I think is critical. Like at, at Illinois, many of our students um, want to go into physical therapy, occupational therapy. They want to be physician's assistants. These are all human service professions. They're going to be interacting and working with people. There's a pedagogy to doing that. There's a pedagogy to how you interact with humans, how you apply motivational theories and other um, uh, you know, uh, pedagogical skills and teaching skills to interacting with humans. So, so I think that the broader field of kinesiology really could benefit from coming back to pedagogy and thinking, okay, well, how, what, what kind of pedagogical skills do our, do our students need? Think about how doctors are often criticized for not having good people skills and being too cold and not knowing how to work with patients. Physical education people who do pedagogical research have something to offer in that sense. Um, where this, so I do think that this model could work. Where, where I think it gets challenged, though, is that um, oftentimes the other disciplines or the other fields within the discipline of kinesiology, subdisciplines, however we want to refer to them, don't see it that way and they don't value that approach. They don't value teaching those types of skills, in my experience. So, you know, at Illinois, um, we have a core curriculum that's part of our kinesiology uh, department. In my opinion, a core curriculum should reflect all of the program areas that make up that department if it's really a core curriculum. There's no pedagogy expressed within that core curriculum whatsoever with the exception of some token information that's given in like introduction to kinesiology courses. There's nothing more than that because it's not valued at that level. We're allowed to exist and I'm not making statements specifically about Illinois here, but generally um, physical education is allowed to exist within kinesiology at best, but are not viewed as part of the core of the discipline. So unless that perspective changes, this won't work. And, and I did like this article, but it disappointed me because the very end finally got to what I thought the article was going to be about. In the conclusion section, she dips her toe into this idea of, of you know, everybody in kinesiology could benefit from pedagogy. And I was really hoping that that was going to be the centerpiece of this article. That's where I thought it was going to go. This seemed to be like part A of, of two, a two part. It laid the foundation, but it didn't give us the direction. I think, too, I agree with that a little bit for sure. But I think some of the points made throughout, at least while I was reading it, I could see how it could be applied the arguments for, you know, the sciences into physical education is is the argument for how we can, you know, collaborate and make that work to a degree. Um, so, for example, talking about the limited amount of hours we have with our undergrads, the way that we've collaborated a bit here at Northern Illinois University, um, like for motor development, for example, we have split that up so that we're teaching the actual science component, but we're also in a field experience simultaneously. So they get to have opportunities to work with students, develop curriculum, implement it, but also see how the sciences are applied. Um, and, you know, Lori Zittle made that happen here and I've had the opportunity to continue that. And I can see how that science could cross field. Um, things like, you know, anatomy, biomechanics is a little more outside of my wheelhouse, but learning that and then seeing how it could be applied maybe in a high school health setting and then actually putting it in there 
that's more content-based uh, than the pedagogy, kind of what she was saying in terms of content versus pedagogy, but then they can apply that content in a teaching strategy. Um, does that make sense, what I'm saying with that? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And yeah. one of the things that you said was like biomechanics outside your wheelhouse, which it is for me 100%. Um, but like we both have doctorates in a related field, right? We're both teaching mm -hmm. in higher education, in physical education, but we don't feel comfortable with biomechanics. However, like in Virginia, the SOLs, the standards of learning that we have in Virginia has, they don't align step standard one, two, three, four, five with shape. Their standard two is anatomical basis of movement. And it was this big change seven years ago, six years ago when they pushed to include biomechanical principles, sports science, anatomy, physiology, all across, like anatomical basis of movement starts at kindergarten, goes all the way through to 12. And they talk about levers, Newton's laws of movement, uh, fulcrums, all of these things that, again, ATP, CP, like lactic acid, they go all of these like very detailed things that they should be learning. And I would argue, and I do argue because they had a, a possibility of writing an open letter to give comments on because they're redoing them now. And um, uh, Dominique Banville and I, we wrote one to them and we said like, look, arguably to be a like physically active for a lifetime, have the you know emotions, motivations, and the skillful uh, ability to play these games or be active in whatever you choose, you don't have to know the ATP-CP cycle in physical education. Now, yes, if you're taking biology, yeah, you need to know it, right? But in physical education, do we want to spend our time teaching that? And I just, I don't think that that's what we need to spend time doing in physical education. Um, I think, you know, one of the things when it's changed over, a lot of the teachers who hadn't taken a biomechanics course until they're like, since their undergrad, like 15 years ago, they don't remember any of that. It was really hard for them to be able to teach that stuff. And so they asked for professional development and the school district asked us to do professional development. And, you know, we look through the standards and I'm like, wow, this is like really science heavy. So when you're going through and teaching basketball, you're trying to embed Newton's laws of motion into it, and it, it just feels a little clunky. Like, I'm all for integration. Like, I, I love this idea of integrating different academic subjects into PE when both of them can be used together. But, you know, I, I disagree with going so heavy into these sub-disciplines when we're talking K-12 to education. Aaron, agree, disagree? You know, I mean, I agree. I think, I think that it's hard to go into so much detail. One thing I'll throw out there, though, and this is um, not best practice, but reality is that, unfortunately, our students have to demonstrate certain competencies before they're able to become a teacher, right? In many states, that's the practice. And the practice still has like that subdiscipline information in detail um, that students have to be able to demonstrate their knowledge and competency in, right? And so, you know, we we preach all the time, like, do not teach to the test. But in some situations as this, like, we have to keep some of that content in because our students have to know it in order to get certified um, to become PE teachers because that thought has not been updated within standardized testing that's required for teachers to get licensure. So I think this is, uh, I think this might have come up on the podcast before, but there's like, so we're talking about how do we train students in a university context and we can, we can control that curriculum to some extent. And then there's school-based physical education in it's its own thing. I mean, they, they teach what they want to teach and they do things uh, differently than we would like sometimes. And so I think there's like that tension point that came out here because the, the article really pushed back on um, a seat and top assertion that uh, content of PE should be about sports games and 
content of, of kinesiology. And I think both arguments have grounding, you know, the core content argument fits with my uh, perspective as a professor. But then when I go out to a high school and I see they're just doing a multi-activity sports model and the principal loves it and the parents love it, like I'm like, well, the seating top argument is quite persuasive from that perspective. So, um, you know, that tension point, we just remains um, difficult for us to, to navigate in, in this space. So. And again, I think that a lot of this traces back to, to where individual faculty who call themselves physical education or pedagogy faculty see themselves and align their visions of the discipline. Um, you, you talked about ATP before, Risto. I had a conversation with a senior faculty member in our community who made, who made his case that the Krebs cycle is something that all students leaving a physical education program should be able to understand. I, I don't agree with that. But he made a case and he supported his arguments in, in a logical way. Um, and it just shows that, you know, one of the one of the blessings and the curses, I think, about physical education as a discipline or as a field is that there's such variety in thought and opinion about what we should be doing that we don't have consensus. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the lines that I highlight in the paper, going back to the seed and top argument and what should be taught um, Dr. Solomon says, knowledge of any specific game or activity is not an essential life skill, but learning to move skillfully and developing knowledge and dispositions that are necessary to promote physical active lifestyles is a learning outcome of substantial worth. And I feel like that kind of really wraps it up for me in a way that, because people always say like, well, why are we, why are we focusing so much on sport? Like, and I, and I say that, why are we teaching these sports where like flag football, where they're not going to play this when they're adults? Like they're probably not going to play, you know, a, a bunch of these activities that we, that we teach them. But I think that uh, wrapping that in and saying that it's not an essential life skill to learn how to play flag football, but there are certain things in flag football that help you learn how to move skillfully and probably not get injured and pivot in certain ways in different games and activities that might help you down the line. So uh, I think I think those arguments going back and forth in this paper um, are really good and they they relate it to the or she relates it to school physical education um, again pretty deeply. Um, but I, I don't know, like I think that there's uh, the point that she makes about that there's a lack of consensus about what we should be teaching in physical education to begin with. Like, if we polled the five of us, we would have different lists of things that have to be taught in physical education. And then we take ourselves out of university settings and go in and pick five randomly selected people from five different states who are actually in K-12 education and realize that, oh, I'm only allowed to teach physical education to sixth grade for 60 minutes once a week. So what are they actually teaching? You know, what, what choices are they making? And, you know, I think that it goes back to this, just get them physically active because they only have 60 minutes. So I might as well do this instead of teaching the education part. And I think the reality is different than what we, we can talk about in higher education and what people write about in higher education journals versus what the mandates are in certain states of just limited time to be able to do something. And you know, especially during the pandemic, like Aaron and I talked last week about the you know teachers' experiences during COVID, being able to teach. Like, what are they able to teach and are they effective? Are they assessing? Well, well no, they're not really assessing, but I know teachers who didn't teach PE for like three to four months. They just weren't allowed to teach. And they're just like, don't even worry about it. I just need you to be here to do these things that are outside of your job description, but we're still going to pay you to be here. And they just weren't allowed to teach PE because PE was not seen as, as important. Oh, Tori, what do you think? Um, I agree with all of those points to your earlier point, uh, talking about how trying to decide, you know, what's most effective and we're all a little bit siloed in higher ed and what we believe is going to be the most critical physical education. One point that she kind of brought up 
periodically uh, that I think we sometimes stray away from, at least I know I do, is the fact that the student should be the priority. So like one comment that was made, uh, she quoted Ennis and said um, that if we don't provide students opportunities to learn skills and knowledge needed to participate in interesting, meaningful, and intrinsically rewarding physical activities, it's discriminatory. discriminatory. And I thought that that was really prevalent because, you know, things like we're talking about the sciences, even if we know the science, we're able to teach the sciences. Is that really going to be, you know, culturally relevant or, or suiting the students that we're working with in the K through 12 setting? Likely not. Um, and even if we think, you know, I really like this, it works really well for me and how I teach, is it going to work well for the students? Ultimately, it always comes back to what's going to work best for the students, even though that makes it the most challenging way to teach or it's very difficult to express that even in physical education, much less in the sciences and make that understood. Yeah. And every time I see that citation from Ennis about culturally relevant physical education, and I see it's like 1996, you just kind of think you're like, man, she was like really ahead of her time in the research that she was doing. And to be talking about that in 1996 and writing papers about culturally relevant physical education. Just, this is super interesting every time. Michael, what do you think? I, I was, I love that. I'm glad you brought that up. It, um, so that, I feel like that perspective, when you think about kinesiology as a whole, the perspective that Ennis offers in, is only going to come from pedagogy because, because of that public space that I'm talking about. Like if you're in school, you, re, you come to a place where you have to think about what the world looks like that we live in, and it's a changing world. Um, and that's really reflected, like, I just don't see that in any of the other subdisciplines, quite frankly, um, as a grounding. It does, you know, perhaps those scholars are so, you know, are thinking about those things because uh, they want to be equitable, but in terms of their positionality and the participants they come across, the communities they recruit from, um, it's not there. And I think that's the risk for kinesiology um, in moving away from pedagogy is you lose that connection to the public good when the public good is what's driven us to prominence um, to begin with. And so I just don't know where that conversation is taken, is happening outside of the special issues. So I'm glad the special issue is there. I'm going to look at the other articles at some point. Um, and I hope the conversation gets momentum because I'd love to hear, um, you know, a response. I'm sure people in the other subdisciplines would say, wait a minute, like, I want to push back on that comment you just made. That, I'd love to hear that and be able to understand, um, understand that issue more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other, other things that you all found that we haven't talked about yet? Well, kind of, so I agree, Tori, thank you for bringing that up and Michael for giving your thoughts on it. I, I don't know if we have time, this might like open another kind of worms to talk about this, but in that same regards, when we think about the requirements for our, our students in physical education and those heavy sciences, sometimes I feel that um, those heavy science courses are used in kinesiology to weed students out. And oftentimes it's um, students of color and students that have not had uh, equitable learning experiences in their K through 12 environment that got weeded out, that get weeded out within those heavy science courses um, because of the various reasons, right? And so sometimes I wonder if, you know, like kind of going along what Michael was saying, but putting it within physical education, like sometimes we lose the students that we need represented within within our profession because of that early weeding out. And I think that's, that's dangerous, right? And so we need to be thinking about that as well. Yeah, and and we talked a lot about recruitment. We talked a lot about recruitment in into the profession, but I think you, you're bringing up a really important point of retention of how do we retain students what are the mentorship programs? How, what are the support programs? Um, you know, we have we have students who come in, come into our university, and they can't pass the English language arts part. That has, I mean, we have a writing intensive course in in physical education, but 
I, I can't teach in, in 16 weeks a person how to write very, very, very effectively if they have had not a great experience in their un, uh, you know, other courses, K to 12 or their junior college, and they have been able to kind of get by without writing very effectively, and then they get stuck on this test. And like, those are great physical education teachers. They, they know the pedagogy, they, they go well with like students, they, they have really great energy but they can't pass an English language arts test, which arguably should be there. Like if you're going to be a K to 12 educator, you have to be able to, like you have to be able to teach like the language part um, because you're an educator in K to 12 schools. But then we do have these like thresholds, like you can't get past that, but you find out at the university level that you can't pass it, like your senior year, like I think there's something wrong in the, in the system there that, that needs to be fixed there as well. Kevin? You know, one, one, I guess my final thought with this, um, as I've been doing more research related to higher education and, and looking at peak faculty and doctoral students in higher ed, I've started to see a lot of parallels between experiences that K-12 teachers have and experiences that faculty have in higher education environments, especially relative to things like marginality. Um, I, I see kind of another parallel here. For a long time, I felt as if the messaging in physical education was let's integrate other subject areas into what we're doing in, in the gym without that reciprocity of others taking what we do and recognizing its importance and integrating it into their classrooms. I know that there's been a lot of movement lately for, um, uh, you know, like uh, classroom physical activity breaks, et cetera, and I think that that gets done really well in some in some cases and I don't want to underplay that but but I do kind of see this parallel where where I think that sometimes as physical educators we're, we're, we're very ready to kind of hitch ourselves to anything that we think is going to get us grounding um, it, it, without the expect for reciprocity so so yes I do think that it's relevant that as faculty we, we look at some of these principles from other disciplines within kinesiology I think that they do have relevance for physical education especially when they're taught through the lens of physical education, uh, which I think is what Ohio State does. But I also think that, that as we're having those types of conversations, we need to have that parallel discussion of what can physical education then do for the broader discipline of kinesiology so that's a two-way street and not a one-way street. Yeah. Now, uh, on that point, the final thought I had in the closing arguments of how we can collaborate with others and see how we can all work together I thought about the ARE scholar lecture from Castelli where she said, we, we deserve a spot at the table. We, we are as much a part of this conversation as anyone else within kinesiology, within these education fields in general, and a crossover between the both. We, I feel so marginalized oftentimes within physical education that I think I almost take that on and I'm like, I, I am less than, even though I know I'm not in terms of a subject. And so having someone, you know, say that, you know, we do belong here. We have so much to offer to every, both education and kinesiology. So um, being able to reiterate the fact that we do belong at the table and we can contribute in a number of ways and then starting to put that into action. I like that argument. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that uh, we barely touched on is this idea of where uh, PEAT programs are. And so are they at Research One universities? Are they at private universities? Are they at state colleges? Um, I, and I think, you know, Dr. Solomon brought this up in, in that paper a little bit, but talked about how certain programs in research intensive universities have dropped the teacher education part. And I think that that could be dangerous if you are aligned with the kinesiology program, you're at a big R1, and then you don't have the leadership there to support you. And all of a sudden they start looking down and a new dean comes in, new department chair comes in and start, starts shaking the tree and they go, well, why is physical education here? We're an exercise science department. And then they get rid of that because it's an R1. What, what grants are you bringing in? How are you supporting this? And so there is a threat of losing those. But then at the same time, like some of these teaching universities, so like the regional comprehensive universities that used to be 
7,000, 10,000 students. Cal State Fullerton has 40,000 students. Long Beach State has 42,000 students. Mason, we're hitting 40,000. We're all public regional like institutions. I mean, the the Cal States are teaching universities. That's what they were like developed for. And then in California, the UC systems are the R1s. Mason is this blend of like, hey, we were a regional comprehensive university and now we're, we were an R2, now we're an R1 for two cycles running. And now you start thinking, okay, well, how does that, how does that work when these like public universities are morphing into bigger universities and those teaching universities are the R1s now? And where does that kind of shake out? Because what, one of the things that she brought up was if we lose those research-intensive PEAT programs, then we will lose the faculty at those places who are doing PEAT because they're not going to be recruited in from doctoral programs. We would then probably lose, if we lose the undergraduate, they will eventually lose the doctorate program. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it's just kind of fade away. They're not going to rehire for a position and they're going to let a program kind of retire out. And then what happens to the science part of teacher education when certain R1s are not doing that work and we expect the, the, the faculty who are teaching four or five classes every single semester to do the rigorous research? It's just too, too over, overburdening for them. So I think that's a huge snowball effect that you know, we could all talk about, but what, what is happening? What, what action can we take to negate that? Looking for answers. I'll mention, final comment. I'll mention the final, a final comment along that line is that um, the loss of, it's a really important point, and the loss of programs is often due to low numbers, low enrollment, but that low enrollment is in uh, relation to high enrollments within the kinesiology department just relative to that. There are programs on campus, all over our campuses, with low enrollments that are sustained for various reasons. We have a classics degree that graduates like one student a year. Why is that there? Because it brings value to the university. It has a connection to history. That's also true of physical education and kinesiology. There is no kinesiology without uh, physical education as a parent discipline to begin with. So that conversation can be reframed to think about, you know, what we value. The fact that kinesiology majors have exploded does not mean that we now need to eliminate the small area of physical education because it has a broader value base in terms of its history, in terms of connection to public schools and so forth. But I think we're not there in that conversation right now. Uh, not sure if we'll ever get there, but I think that, um, repositioning that would be very helpful for us in our decision-making framework. Yeah, and if we look at kinesiology too, being a relatively young field and having a huge boom, like what is the percentage of job placement in that field? Like if you're graduating from with a kinesiology degree at these gigantic universities, you're graduating with 600 other people who just got their Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology and then a university 30 minutes down, down the highway also graduated 400 people with a kinesiology degree. So like, what are the jobs that they're going to? Um, where, like how competitive is it going to then where most of them, not most, but a lot of them want to go to is PTOT. They want to be a physical therapist, occupational therapist. Um, we just had a undergraduate student go into a grad program for adapted physical education, really good program that has uh, like a field placement. So they go in, they work with APE and they take a master's degree at the same time. He, he messaged me last week that said, out of the 15 person cohort, three people are physical education focused. The rest are OTPT people who are getting their master's degree and getting that experience and that's like a really good APE program, but they're not, they're not going with physical education people. I don't know if they're not applying, but I think that that's, there's so many like things that 
are happening that are kind of slowly slipping towards one direction. And I think that, you know, it, I don't know, I, no one's, no one's really raising the alarm bells, right? Like this, this paper talked a little bit about those, but wasn't really like screaming from the top of the mountain, like to, to beware. And I think Lawson has talked about that in, in his papers and, um, special issue in JTP talks about that a little bit, but I don't know. I think, I think there's some, uh, some room for improvement for us and some, um, some, some issues. So, uh, any, uh, any other final uh, comments or thoughts? All right. So hearing none, um, I will conclude our season four starter of our article club. Uh, thanks everybody for coming on. Um, the show notes have, has the article. Um, if you have trouble accessing, you can just, uh, direct message any of us and, uh, we'll, we'll get you access to be able to read the article and, um, hopefully, uh, you'll, you'll have read it and then, uh, we can engage again. So up until, uh, next month so we'll have another one here coming up in september and um thanks everybody for coming on bye if you're still listening you're probably really into health and physical education so i'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet um our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.